you're not in the wrong place. This is the We Tackle Life podcast. I'm letting you in on a little secret. I am a huge Jerry Reed fan. And since it's been a while since I did a We Tackle Life podcast, and uh, since I thought it's kind of like starting over, I thought I'd start with a little uh, different music than we typically start with here on the podcast. So uh, thanks for your patience. Um, I don't have a good excuse for why it's been so long since I've done a We Tackle Life podcast. Except that I, like everybody, have been busy and doing my thing and trying to make a living and trying to um, service all the relationships in my life. And somebody the other day sent me a very succinct tweet and it just said, podcast, question mark. So if you are the person who sent me the podcast question mark tweet, I appreciate that you missed it. I am sorry that I have not uh, provided one lately. And I will endeavor to do better as we finally are now to the point where we will have actual football to talk about on the podcast. I know we have baseball. I know the Indians are in first place. I know the Reds are terrible. Uh, I'm not into baseball like I used to be. I couldn't name you four players on the Indians. I've kind of disengaged from that aspect of my sporting life. But it's pretty impossible to disengage from football entirely. And I don't know that I want to because I enjoy uh, watching football and I enjoy a sport that you can pretty much build your schedule around. You know, college football is going to be Saturday. High school football is going to be Friday. Pro football is going to be Sunday. And it's a lot easier than keeping track of the daily goings on. So we have a monster college football game to talk about with Ohio State season starting Saturday night against Notre Dame. And we will soon have all three uh, levels of football engaged, but we don't have NFL yet, although we do have NFL stories to talk about, and so we'll talk about those, and we'll get to the faith portion at the end of the podcast, as we always do. I will uh, endeavor to do at least two of these a week. It is uh, a little easier to skip when you don't have a partner doing it and when you get uh, busy doing other stuff uh, around the house, but uh, this is, I know, some way that I can engage with those of you who have been very nice to uh, pay attention to my sports takes over the years, and particularly those of you who uh, find what I have to say on matters of faith to be insightful and hopefully inspiring. Um, I'll be honest with you, some of my hesitance to engage on sports topics is because I do find the gravity of the topics that I talk about now in the news talk realm to be so much more consequential to the future of our country and our culture, that sometimes it feels to me like um, spending too much time on things that don't matter uh, and sports really doesn't matter, that it's um, not the best use of my time. But I also realize that I can become too serious and too focused. Well, I don't know about too focused. I think the battles are such that We can't be too focused on them. But I do realize that I need some diversion, and I do realize, too, that the loyalty of people like you who've listened to the podcast over the years um, is flattering. And I don't want to lose the audience of uh, the um, numbers of you who tune in for the faith portion at the end. So that's a long way of saying I'm sorry it took me so long to do this. Um, I would like to engage with you personally. The best way to do that is to... uh, express your interest in joining the PatriotSwitch.com movement. It's a way for you to make sure that you're not spending money in places where that money will then be used to advocate for things that are decidedly unchristian. Initiatives out there that uh, propagate abortion and um, discrimination 
racism, uh, things that are horribly bad for our culture. PatriotSwitch.com is about um, all the things that I think are foundational to a great country, which is um, upholding the American dream and spending with a company that then gives its um, contributions to organizations that are pro-life, pro-police, pro-America. So I love the products that we use. They're household products and anything too sexy. It's the stuff we brush our teeth with, uh, you know, cleaning products, personal care products, laundry, uh, dishwashing soap, things like that. Uh, we buy it from a company that makes and manufactures everything from plants, so it's not toxic. I'm not a super green uh, freak, but I do believe God's blessed us with an unbelievable country, and we should steward it well. But more importantly, I don't like a cent of my money going to um, damaging causes in our country. And you can hear what I'm talking about when you go to patriotswitch.com slash Bruce. I'll reach out. I'll explain the whole thing to you. They don't allow me to give you the name of the company, or I would on this podcast, but trust me, I'm a, I'm a customer and that's all you have to be as a customer. It's not something that you have to advocate for or sell to your neighbor or anything like that. Okay. So let's get to the, uh, big Ohio state Notre Dame game. Your coaches had their press conferences this week. Ryan day, uh, actually Ryan day is his tomorrow and, uh, Marcus Freeman had his today. Marcus Freeman is coming back to Ohio stadium. I covered Marcus when he was a linebacker for Ohio state under Jim Tressel, Marcus and James Laurinaitis on the same team. Now they're on the same coaching staff coaching against Ohio state. It's funny how the future works out. I'm sure that Marcus and James did not see that coming, but nevertheless, it will happen Saturday night, and uh, the stadium area will be an absolute madhouse, and it'll be that kind of electric atmosphere that you get when you have a Saturday night nationally televised top five matchup on uh, national television from Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio is one of the uniquely, uh, I think, uh, attractive college towns in the country. It's a major metropolitan city. We've got all kinds of big corporations and bigger ones coming in terms of Intel, but there's still something that I think Ohio State will always be a uh, uh, Columbus. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip calling Columbus Ohio State because it basically is. Columbus is Ohio State. Uh, for better, for worse, it is Ohio State, and it is, uh, it's an atmosphere unlike any other when the Buckeyes play on a Saturday night. The place will be bananas. I don't know much about Notre Dame's team. I just know they don't have near the proven players that Ohio State has coming back on the offensive side. And Travion Henderson and Jackson Smith and Jigba in C.J. Stroud in um, Paris Johnson. Ohio State has phenomenal talent. Ryan Day's done a tremendous job coaching. Uh, have you ever paused to think about how fortunate, I'm not going to say lucky because you're not lucky if you hire a guy and notice his obvious talents for coaching, but Ohio State was fortunate in that whoever recommended Ryan Day to Urban Meyer, wow. I mean, you know, to look at the career track of Ryan Day from a quarterback coach with the San Francisco 49ers to becoming Ohio State's head football coach in, what, what was that, a three-year span, a four-year span? Uh, pretty amazing. And, I, you know, to think that Urban Meyer could win 11 games every year that he was Ohio State's head coach that he could win a national championship in 2014, the third of his career, that he could leave, um, you know, with a Rose Bowl win. But I think we all know that, you know, Urban left kind of under a weird cloud with the whole uh, Zach Smith and uh, other assorted matters uh, over his final season uh, or, or two seasons and whatever it was. I've lost track. Doesn't matter. Uh, to get a guy like Ryan Day, who nobody misses the old coach. You realize, like, Ohio State went from Jim Trestle, who beat Michigan 9 out of 10 times, 
to Urban Meyer, who beat Michigan seven out of seven times, to Ryan Day, and they didn't miss Tress when Urban got here, and they haven't missed Urban when Ryan got here. Like, that tells you what a what an amazing job they've done of replacing their coaches. Now, you can say, well, look at it. Come on, Bruce. Ohio State. They recruit whoever they want. They pick whoever they want. Uh, the machine sells itself. Well, the machine doesn't sell itself. Look at Texas. <laughs> okay? Look at USC. Look at Nebraska. Look at Notre Dame. Look at, I'll even say Alabama. Did Alabama have some down years in between Bear Bryant and Nick Saban? They had a ton of down years. They had t- two decades of down years down by Alabama standards. Has Ohio State had that? Not really. They had a year or two here or there. Not much. They've not had a five-year period where they were dreadful. Probably their worst five-year period was the first, well, let's see, John Cooper was 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, and then 93 they were 10-1-1, I think, or 10-2-1, whatever it was. But they were kind of irrelevant in the national championship conversation for five years, but they were a bowl team. They weren't a sub-500 team. They were a New Year's Day bowl team. They were going to Orlando every year. So Ohio State is the most sustainable, great football program in college football. And I see no reason for that to change. Uh, Certainly not during Ryan Day's tenure. And, I mean, I always thought Ryan Day would leave for the NFL. I still, if he said, do you think Ryan Day will leave and become an NFL head coach in the next five years? My answer would be... Mm, man, that's right at the length of period I think that it'll be. I'd say it's more likely in 10 than in 5. It's not... In t- in 5, I wouldn't be shocked. In 10, I would be quite surprised if he's still here. Because I just think he's going to win a lot here. And the problem with the expectations at Ohio State, look at a year like this year. If they lose a game this year, the season's a failure. It just is. It's a failure. First of all, how many games could they lose, right? Like, what are the games they could theoretically lose? They're not going to lose in Notre Dame. They're going to win. They're going to cover. No, their favorite 17 and a half, they're going to cover. They're not losing to Notre Dame. On a Saturday night season opener in Ohio State? No. No way. No chance. Are they losing at home to Wisconsin? No. Are they losing at home to Michigan? Seriously, doubt it. Maybe. Maybe Michigan's better than I think. Are they losing in the college football playoff? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe Bama beats them. Maybe somebody else beats them. But if they don't win the national championship this year, it'll be a very uh, blah year for Ohio State. Okay, so when that is the bar, when that is the bar, when you're the o- when the only way you can at the end of the year go, man, we had a great year. What an awesome year. The only way you can do that is to win every game. That's a ton of... I don't know if it's a ton of pressure because people say, oh, it's a ton of pressure. Well, is it on a week-by-week basis? Is it a ton of pressure? Going into how many games this year do you think Ryan Day is sweating it out that his team might lose? How many? How many games? You think he's sweating it out against Iowa? Come on. No way. Michigan State? No. So I don't think there's pressure on a weekly basis. I think there's just this always this just kind of background. Hey, by the way, you better win them all. Hey, you better win them all. You know, you're going to have to win them all. Yeah. Nice win. Okay, great. Fantastic. But you're better than they are. You recruit better than they are. You got more money than they do. You got to win them all. Don't forget that. 
I think that kind of pressure is always there. In the NFL, that pressure is not there. In the NFL, the pressure is concentrated on the calendar. In the NFL, it's like, okay, what are you doing during the regular season? Eh, wait, like Belichick. Belichick looks at the first two, three weeks of the season as an extended preseason. He's not going to play his regulars in the preseason. He's going to play them in the regular season opener, second game, third game. Then he's going to figure out what he's got. And he's going to go, I got, I got 14 weeks to get my team in playoff shape. So in the NFL, they don't stress when they lose a game. Teams in the SEC, Bama. Bama loses games occasionally like you lose in the NFL. You'll see a really good team in the NFL lose to a really bad team in the NFL because, as Spiels used to say on the podcast, hard to win a game in the NFL. It's hard to win any game in the NFL. In college, is it hard to win most games you play when you're one of the it programs? No. It's a lead pipe cinch. You know you're going to win it. So I don't think on a week-to-week basis there's pressure on Ryan Day. I really don't. But I think at the end of the year, when you sit and you look back, you're like, did we or didn't we? That's the pressure. And I think that can get to you over a period of time. So I think five to seven years, five to eight years, you know, there's that old adage about the seven-year itch in marriage. I never experienced that, but some guys do. They get seven years in, they get bored. Maybe he's got a seven-year itch with the Ohio State football job. But I think, yeah, my gut would be Ryan Day is eventually going to be an NFL head coach. He's not going to want to spend his entire career here and never know if he could get it done in the NFL. But enjoy, So enjoy him while you can because he's just absolutely blowing it out of the park in recruiting. And they're going to beef up their NIL thing. And USC is going to beef up its NIL thing. And Bama's going to have its stuff together. And there'll be room for like one or two more doing that. And we're going to have basically four or five superpowers. We're... College football is devolving, and I say devolving because I don't think it's good for college football. It's devolving into the NBA under, like, LeBron and the Warriors, where you knew who was going to play in the finals before the season started. Like, couldn't you pick? You know Bama and Ohio State are going to be in the playoff this year, right? Like, Bama and Ohio State for sure. Would you take Georgia right now? Mm, Yeah, I think I would. I think I'd take Georgia right now. I'll take those three and I, and I don't care who your fourth is, but those are going to be your three. And I don't think that's great for, like, the interest in college football. So uh, I don't think the expansion of the playoff will fix that. I think we have the rich and the not rich in college football. Ryan Day's coaching one of the rich. Those are hard to find. But eventually he'll find a situation in the NFL that intrigues him, and he'll be out of here. Okay. Marcus Freeman today said the first thing they have to do is stop the run. If they don't stop the run, they don't have a chance, and they have to be able to run the ball. I think these, I think he's right on both those counts, although the problem with Ohio State is if you stop the run, they can still score 50 on you because they can literally score every snap. They can. Every snap, they can score. Smith and Jigba, Marvin Harrison, Travion Henderson, they can score any snap from anywhere on the field. Third and 20, would you bet your life they're not going to get it? I wouldn't. They're that explosive on offense. And I hate to sound like a fanboy because I have made a career working hard not to sound like a fanboy, but they're just that good relative to their competition. Notre Dame's best lineman is eh, may play, may not play. Uh, They lost their bowl game last year at Oklahoma State. They violated my cardinal rule of coaching searches at Notre Dame. They hired the interim. Never ever hire the interim. You say, wait, didn't Ohio State hire the interim? Uh, yeah, they kind of did. <laughs> but every rule has an exception, okay? Uh, Clemson hired the interim. Dabo Sweeney 
But there are a lot more examples of people who hired the interim and it didn't work out. See Larry Coker. See Clay Helton. See, who was the guy at Washington years ago? He took over for Don James. Jim, Jim somebody. Anyway, typically you don't hire the interim. If you do, you don't have good numbers. And uh, they're not going to have good numbers here. Lincoln Riley was an interim, I think. No, he wasn't. No, he was on uh, somebody's staff out there. He was on Stoops' staff. So I just wouldn't do it. And I don't think I don't think Marcus Freeman could possibly be ready for a job like Notre Dame uh, when you had guys out there, um, you know, with more experience who could have come in and could have done, I think, a better job right off the top of my head. You know, so I just I wouldn't have done it. Uh, but they did it, and we'll see how it works out for them. Uh, okay, the the pageantry of an Ohio State Saturday night game is, of course, ESPN game day. And I got to laugh. Um, when you come to Ohio State, this is where the headgear thing started, by the way, with Corso and one of Herbie's uh, sons. This is where the headgear thing started. Okay, so I was thinking, I, I don't spend any time thinking about who the who who's the guest picker going to be. I know there are guys who cover Ohio State who geek out on this kind of stuff. I do not. But when I heard the guest picker, I'm like, okay, ESPN doesn't care anymore about anything other than trying to attract a certain kind of demo audience or just they have agendas that I don't even really understand. Because the guest picker for this game is Jack Harlow. Yes, the Jack Harlow. The one and only Jack Harlow. Jack Harlow is a rapper, okay? Because when you think rap, you think Columbus, right? Uh, When you think rap, you think Ohio State. He's a rapper from Louisville, Kentucky, which is, uh, what, four hours from Columbus? I don't think anybody ever links Louisville and Ohio State, Louisville and Notre Dame. Uh So I put a Twitter poll up. Jack Harlow is guest picker. He is A, fantastic choice. B, never heard of him. C, really? Jack Harlow? Uh, At this point in time, uh, 66%, two-thirds of you have never heard of Jack Harlow. 25% of you say, really? Jack Harlow? So you've heard of him, but like you can't believe he got the gig. And 9% of you say, fantastic choice. So that's uh, Jack Harlow's mom and dad, and maybe brothers and sisters. So uh, that's funny to me that they pick Jack Harlow as their... Does anybody remember the Herbie interview in the booth with Eminem? Herbie and Brent in the booth with Eminem. I think I'm going to tweet this at Herbie about... I'm hoping with Jack Harlow as a guest picker, there will at least be some interaction between Herbie and Jack Harlow that will be as epic as Herbie and Eminem. Uh, That's in Herbie's book, by the way. Uh, which is a phenomenal book. You ought to read it. Kirk's really very transparent in his book that published about this time a year ago. And he was very kind to me in that book, which he was very, he was quite nice to me in that book, which I appreciate. But Herbie's a, Herbie's a great guy and he was fun to work with. And <laughs> But I got I to gotta tease my guy a little bit about uh, about Jack Harlow and rappers. Okay. So I, so I presume Fowler will be a little bit r- more ready for, although Brent held his own against Eminem up there when Eminem just went stone cold dead. 
and <laughs> didn't respond to any of their questions. Oh, hilarious. Uh, by the way, when you're watching Saturday night's game, you might think it's happening in the horseshoe. You might think it's happening in Ohio Stadium. You might think it's happening, as Keith Jackson used to say, on the bank to the Olentangy. But no, no, it is not. It is happening on Safe Light Field, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, Ohio State, hard scrabble, trying to make ends meet. Ohio State has managed to cobble together a sponsorship deal with Safe Light Auto Glass to have Safe Light uh, on the field in Ohio Stadium as a corporate sponsor of the field. So they will be, you can guarantee that the stories that come out of Ohio State will say that the Buckeyes are getting ready to welcome Notre Dame to Safe Light Field at Ohio Stadium. Safe Light Field at Ohio Stadium. So um, I can only imagine, you know, the uh, crack in the windshield jokes that will occur when Ohio State commits a turnover, fumbles, or heaven forbid, loses at home on safe light field. Uh, so, so there you go. Um, I, I'm astounded that they sold the name of the the name of the field to Safe Light Auto Glass. Uh, not astounded. Saturday for the opener of the Big Ten to see Nebraska go down to. Northwestern in Dublin, Ireland. 31-28 the final. That is the ninth straight, ninth straight Nebraska loss in a game decided by one score or fewer. Okay, now a lot of these are games that, you know, maybe there was a touchdown at the end and, oh, by the way, touchdown for somebody, and it made the game, you know, it was a 14-point game. It made it a seven-point game. Hence, it's a one-score game, and oh, it makes it look bad for Scott Frost. But that is bad when you lose nine straight games by one score, decided by one score. They haven't lost nine in a row. All of them decided by one score. In their last nine games that were decided by a single score, they've lost them all. They've lost them all. And they are now... 5 and 21 under Scott Frost in games that were decided by one score or fewer. So that's eight points or less. Uh, Brett McMurphy of uh, Stadium tweeted this today. In Scott Frost's fifth year at Nebraska, he has lost 30 games. Bo Pelini, in seven years, had 27 losses, so three fewer in two more seasons. Pelini also won 67 games. Frost has 15 wins. Ooh, that's a brutal tweet. That's a brutal tweet because it's factual. And I can say, well, Bo Pelini inherited an amazing program from Frank Solich and one that had played for the national championship not too far before and all that. And that's all true. That is all true. But when you get fired and you won 67 games in seven years and the guy who replaced you in five years has won 15 games, you won 52 more games than he did? Um, this is the thing that has happened frequently in the Big Ten. You fire a coach, it happens frequently everywhere, but in the Big Ten in particular, I can give you a couple examples. You fire a coach thinking you're going to get to the next level, right? Oh, we're going to get to the next level. And you do. You get to the next level below. You get to the next level below where you were. Indiana went through this when they fired Bill Mallory 
Oh, we're going to fire Bill Mallory. Old guy doesn't get it. Mm, they went through a lot of issues. Minnesota fired Glenn Mason. Ah, oh, he wins 10 games every year. Always loses a bowl game. Yeah, how do you like winning two games with goofy Jim Wacker and Tim Brewster? How do you like that? So you can get to the next level. You can always get to the next level. The trouble is it is sometimes the next level down. And that looks like what has happened at Nebraska. But Scott Frost will not be getting fired at least until October the 1st. Because on October the 1st, Scott Frost's buyout falls from $15 million to $7.5 million. Now, don't even begin to ask me where Nebraska is going to get $7.5 million to make Scott Frost go away. I have no clue. But they can get 7.5 a lot easier than they can get 15. So I presume that is what they will do. All right. Uh, I'm remiss in not telling you that I'm still affiliated with my friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, and I hope you will give them a shout and order and save 15% off when you use the promo code We Tackle Life. Their coffee's phenomenal. Their mission is tremendous. They buy their coffee direct from growers around the world, Ethiopia, Thailand, Indonesia, and other countries. They're discerning buyers. They don't just buy because, oh, hey, we know this guy and he's got coffee. No, it has to be phenomenal coffee, and it is phenomenal coffee. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Dot com. Check out their website. They do a great job on their website. But, of course, the most important thing you can do on their website is order, order, whole bean, uh, light, medium, dark roast, K-cups, however you want it, they can get it to you. And when you order and use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps, you get 15% off, and they ship free on orders of $30 or more. So you're making out like a bandit. Thanks to Paul, thanks to Andy, Grace, and all the Hemisphere fine folks. And I cannot say enough great things about them as people, nor about their product. It is tremendous. Okay, uh, Buckeye basketball. The rumors are that uh, Bronny James, LeBron James' son, 6'3 guard from it was Sierra Canyon. I keep can't keep track of where he is now. May make a recruiting visit to Ohio State on Saturday. Um, what's interesting about the timing of that is that on Friday, Friday. Dalen Swain, six foot seven inch wing guard from Afrocentric, will announce his college choice. Dalen Swain, if you're listening to this podcast, pick the Buckeyes and render as moot Bronny James' visit to Ohio Stadium and perhaps future commitment to Ohio State. Ohio State's already fully scholarshiped for the season beyond this coming one. But that doesn't matter because you'll obviously have somebody transfer because that's just what kids do now in the I'm not a star instantly, so I'm going to become eligible somewhere else right away by transferring and seek my fortune there. Dalen Swain, I saw him play last year in the state tournament, and I'm more than a little intrigued by what a great passer he is, what a great defender he is, what a complete player he is. He just needs to fill out and get a little bigger, but even if he doesn't, he's going to be able to play college basketball as a freshman. I love, I love having a big guard like Dalen Swain. He's an all-Ohio red teammate of George Washington III and Devin Royal, both of whom are already committed to Ohio State, as is Scotty Middleton. Middleton is the top player that Ohio State has committed. He's 18th in the country. Devin Royal is 51. George Washington is 55. Dalen Swain is 87, which I think is low. Bronny James is 35. Mm. His name was Bronny, Bronny Jones. I don't think he'd be 35. But... Uh, I've seen George Washington 
I've seen Devin Royal. Both of them are very good basketball players. Scotty Middleton, I hear, is out of this world. And I've seen Dalen Swain. And interestingly enough, the ESPN 100 has Dalen Swain ahead of Gabe Cups of Centerville, who's going to Indiana. Gabe Cups is 6-1. So Gabe will have some challenges. Gabe is going to be a really good Big Ten player. And I believe Dalen Swain will be as well. I think Dalen Swain is a three-year player at at, uh, worst at Ohio State. So I would take him all day long. I do not want, nor do they need, nor would they prosper from the circus that would be having Bronny James on the team because he's not good enough to play a lot right now. Dalen Swain is. And so, Dalen, I hope you're giving your commitment to the Buckeyes on Friday afternoon. I will rejoice in that if, in fact, it happens. Now, uh, we're still a week away from the NFL season starting, so I'm really not going to get too much into the NFL other than it'll be a thing when the Browns open up at Carolina with Baker Mayfield starting for Carolina. I'm not the least bit surprised that Baker Mayfield is the starter in Carolina because what does Baker Mayfield thrive on? He thrives on controversy. He thrives on -on chip-on-the-shoulder stuff. And when the Browns gave up on him and traded him to Carolina, I knew he would thrive down there. How long? I don't know because he can't stand prosperity. But he doesn't have prosperity yet, and we'll see how he does in Carolina as the starter. Wouldn't surprise me if he threw for a ton of yards against uh, the Browns uh, the first time. And I don't know how the Browns are going to do with Jacoby Brissett as their quarterback uh, because hmm, Jacoby Brissett has always been just kind of a guy. You can be just kind of a guy when you have Nick Chubb as your running back, but I don't know if uh, you're going to be able to win too many shootouts, and you might have to uh, if Baker Mayfield gets it going in the opener. Bengals? Uh, Bengals are, uh, I'm intrigued to see them. Their offensive line hopefully is rebuilt. Hopefully Joe Burrow's fine from his appendectomy. They signed Jesse Bates. I like them signing Jesse Bates to the franchise tag. He said he'd never sign it. He had to sign it. Jesse Bates had to sign the franchise tag because they drafted Dax Hill. They're not going to sign Jesse Bates to a long-term deal. They're just not. So look, life doesn't suck when you get paid the average salary of the top players at your position. Jesse Bates is a really good player, and he'll be paid like a really good player this year. So I've never understood the franchise tag guys getting mad because they don't get a multi-year contract. Sure, you can get hurt. Your career could be over. You still did very, very well in that one season. If you can't live off what you made in that one season, which is more money than the most of us working stiffs will ever dream about, and hopefully you've saved some of the money that you made before that, um, I don't cry for you, Argentina. So good luck to Jesse Bates. Stay healthy. Good luck to the Bengals. I love their run to the Super Bowl last season, and I hope that they uh, have continued success this season. So we'll watch as they open the season in a couple weeks, just like the Browns did. So in the faith portion of the podcast today, I want to touch on uh, two things that are related. At least I think they're related. Number one is uh, the longest chapter in the Bible, and that is Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It uh, goes on and on and on and on for 177 verses, and it is a literary masterpiece. A literary masterpiece because it is divvied up into sections, and I don't know how many sections, but every section begins with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so there is, um, you know, some kind of uh, literary genius in that. But the overwhelming theme of Psalm 119 is the freedom and the majesty of 
God's law of the Ten Commandments. And as I've read Psalm 119 over the last few months, um, I read it at least once a month because I read through the Psalms every month. Um, I'm struck every time I read it by how much whoever the author is, and this is not necessarily a Psalm written by David, I'm struck by how um, insightful the psalmist is in noting what I think is a key to the Christian life for all of us, and that is to view God's law not as restrictive, but as liberating. That's right, as liberating. Let me read from a couple little snippets of Psalm 119 to explain what I mean. Starting in verse 99, the psalmist writes, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. And then in verse 129, the psalmist writes, Your statutes are wonderful. Therefore, I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And then in verse 138, it reads, the statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. And this is the psalm from which comes the uh, stanza in the praise song. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So it goes on and on and on and on, extolling the virtue of God's law. And that is, I think, one of the major sticking points today in the uh, lack of revival in our nation and in the world. We are in a precarious place in our world today because there is a open hostility toward God. Uh, there is, it's more than hostility, it's hatred. It is, um, it is more than rampant disobedience. It is basically a defiling of the holiness of God. It is a, uh, a war on the words of Scripture and specifically a war on God's authority. And when you have a war on God's authority, you have a war on his law, and his law is the Ten Commandments. And a lot of people say, well, didn't Jesus come and, you know, wipe away all that? And aren't we freed from that? And we don't have to obey the Ten Commandments. Okay, this is where people get hung up in looking at the law as restrictive and not as liberating. Because you have to look at this from the perspective of what is the function of obedience in the covenant of Christ's death and resurrection at the cross? Is it not important anymore? Because, well, Jesus died for my sins, and so I don't have to obey, and I'm forgiven for all my sins. And that's true. That is true. So what is the value of obedience? I'm not going to start the next sentence with but, because there is no but to that. Jesus did die for our sins on the cross, and if you accept his sacrifice, then you are saved. What does that mean? 
What does accepting his sacrifice mean? How can you authenticate that you fully understand what Christ did for you at the cross? In what way would you be able to demonstrate that you understand that you bring nothing to the table, that you, your deeds, your whatevers are, are as Paul wrote, filthy rags? What's the way that you could demonstrate that? By being so thankful for the grace you've been shown, the forgiveness you've been shown, the mercy you've been shown, that you treat Jesus not only as your Savior, the person who provided you salvation, but that you treat him as your Lord and you obey his teachings. Not because you have to obey them, to get into heaven, to qualify for heaven, but because you have to authenticate your understanding of the depth of his grace by saying something to the effect of, you know what? This wonderful guy who died for me at the cross when he was innocent and took the blame for everything I ever did, he also gives me a New Testament full of directions on how to live my life to demonstrate my gratitude to him for what he did at the cross. And if he was willing to die for me, then why would I think that he's giving me bad advice on how to conduct myself relationally with other people, with my spouse, with my coworkers, with people I don't know. I can't just say, yeah, hey, thanks a lot for dying for me on the cross, Jesus, but all that other stuff you tell me about how to bring joy into my own life, I'm not so sure about that. I don't know if I want to follow that. Now, does that seem like a very grateful response to you? It doesn't seem like a very grateful response to me. So <laughs> this is how obedience is still an important part of the puzzle in terms of salvation and our receipt of it. Don't confuse it. I think there are denominations, I'll just say it that way, that confuse it like there's a works piece to the forgiveness puzzle, to the grace puzzle. There is no works piece to the forgiveness puzzle. There is a works piece to the authentic receipt of grace, the depth and understanding of grace. There is an obedience piece to show God, I really fully, deeply, personally understand what you did for me at the cross. And so I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount with the wonderful people in my Sunday school class, and we are getting ready to wrap up this week. And I have the privilege of teaching, not because you know, I bring anything to the table, but because we have so many people in this class who are so dialed in on their faith that I just love teaching because as I ask questions, they provide wisdom and insight that I'm incapable of coming up with on my own. But the passage that I will be teaching is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. And Jesus says at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, he's talked all about phony religion under the Pharisees and how people are trying to act showy and how they're trying to, you know, prove how righteous they are and how they're trying to earn their salvation. And like, that's not going to cut it. And he wraps up 
with this very chilling warning where he says, you know, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who, what, does the will of my father. Okay, so what is God's will? Well, in John 6, 40, it says, the work of God is this, to believe on the one he has sent. Now, to believe in Jesus means more than, yeah, there was a Jesus, and yeah, he died at the cross. It's to believe in what he was sent to do and claim it for yourself. So then Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount with verse 24 to the end, and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, but it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's the person who listens to what Jesus says and puts those words into practice. And then in verse 26, he says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. So as I read that, what that tells me is Jesus prioritizes obedience because it is your way of showing you are humble enough to follow him, to follow him, and that you know that following him is where you find true richness in relationship with him. So uh, that is uh, the faith portion of the podcast today. I hope that it is uh, meaningful to you as um, it is meaningful to me. A lot of times in my life, I've wondered, how can I give God praise? How can I give him praise? Because it says he is worthy of praise. He is a majestic God, an all-knowing God, a loving God, and he's worthy of our praise. And I think, well, I'm not that great of a singer, and I, you know, I just don't know really how to praise him. But our humble, submissive receipt of his best advice on how to live is a way to praise him for all that we recognize he has done for us and spared us. And so that's what I'd like to leave you with here at the end of the faith portion of the podcast. Hope you have a wonderful Monday, a wonderful rest of the day, rest of the week, and I will talk to you again, hopefully very, very soon.